This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in to Inside Carolina's On The Beat Live podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. That's Ross Martin, Inside Carolina. That's producer John. Adam Smith getting back from the big city. Right into it, boys. Ross Martin. Uh, Dewey Burke was fired up last night. Don't know if you heard it. Don't know if you read it. But it's created a, a, a quite a stir on the message boards with folks, um, I think, feeling validated to hear some of the same stuff from a former player that they've been saying. What do you think about all this? What do you think about this North Carolina basketball team? One against Notre Dame has to win out without question. Yeah, I mean – this team can't shoot. I think it boils down to a lot of that. Um, I mean, I, I did listen to the podcast actually. Um, you know, I, he was upset that, you know, they showed that they could play with energy and yet they didn't come out with energy in the first half, uh, lowest shooting percentage in what, 40 years, something like that. And then, um, <clears throat> man, over, over nine from three, I think, and no assists. It's just, man, 19 points. That's, that's bad, 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 bad. Um, but you know, Credit to them. They got the win. They made some plays. You know, everything looks a little bit better when Baycott gets the ball on low and he starts hitting some shots. But RJ looked good. Um, but, yeah, man, I mean, Notre Dame's not a good team. Um, and so UNC definitely struggled with them. They got the win. But uh, I, I think it's, to put it simply, this team can't shoot. It's kind of like we keep saying it, Groundhog Day. On this podcast, I'm sure a lot of other podcasts, but, I mean – you know, you make a couple of those threes in the first half, a completely different game. Yeah, you nailed it right there with Groundhog Day. It certainly feels like we're watching the same thing over and over. I saw somebody um, respond or, or maybe somebody in the chat saying that we were being overly negative. They won. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, they, they definitely won. Really surprised to hear Hubert talk about how great a team Notre Dame was. I mean, it's pretty clear Notre Dame is bad. Yeah, I saw that in a comment. He says that about every team, though. Like, that's yeah. just what he says. I know it's weird, but he's, he calls every team and coach unbelievable. I mean, he has some go-to lines. I mean, I've never heard a guy who can rattle off the same phrasing for things. Um, and unbelievable is what he uses to describe the opponent. It's just what, it's just what it is. I don't know. I don't – I mean, yeah, Notre Dame. What, what's the record? Like two and something in the ACC, right? Two and 15 now. Yeah, so, I mean – not not a good basketball team. I, I don't care. They've got some good players, but they're definitely not a good uh, basketball team. John B., you, get you, in here. You referenced the, the stats, Ross. I want to be really specific with our viewers here. So the field goal percentage UNC had last night in the first half was the lowest in a first half since going 0 for 2 in the first half at Duke in 1979. So the lowest field goal percentage basically since zero. That's Neither one of y'all were alive. 
Did you reference that this morning, Tommy? Oh, they were they were at zero points at halftime. So Carolina and Duke was seven nothing at halftime yeah, back yeah. in the seventies. Was it that game? I, I, I think in so. Seventy nine. I remember watching it at my grandma's house. That shows you how old I'm getting. It must have been the other stat that I think is is crazy. It's the first time UNC scored as few as nineteen points and a half in a win since beating Purdue in Madison Square Garden in 1998. So I was one year old for that game. The Tar Heels trailed Purdue uh, 26 to 19 at halftime, but rallied for a 54-47 win. Tommy, do you remember that game? Do you remember where that was? Absolutely. I mean, that's 98. So that was right after Jameson kissed the court in San Antonio, I believe, um, signifying that he was leaving. And so he was gone. Carter and Jameson were gone, and Carolina was sort of on a, a little rebuild with Guthridge that year. I think that was the – if my memory serves, is that the year they lost to Weber State in the NCAA tournament in 99 or Penn State maybe? I can't remember. It runs together, setting a lot of records. Um, you know, North Carolina basketball has been around 100-plus years, and this team's setting records and not a good way. Um, so I, I really don't think – to be quite honest, I don't think we can be too negative. Um or too critical about it because it certainly is what it is. Ross, the one thing that Dewey said, and I want to talk about it, and this is the most frustrating. I mean, you've been around these players and all. They can play. That's what I cannot for the life of me figure out, and it'll be one of the greatest mysteries. Um, you know, like you said, it is just a game. But this team can play. These dudes can play. But yet, for whatever reason, they just don't. Why? <laughs> it's a uh... – yeah, it's it's confusing. I mean, I, I do think <clears throat> I mean yeah, yeah, they can play, but they can't shoot. I mean, they're missing open shots. Uh I do think there's some sort of lack of leadership. I know I've thought that kind of all along. I, I know Dewey mentioned that this morning, or I listened this morning, I'm saying this morning, but last night. Um I do think there's some sort of lack of of leadership, maybe some lack of chemistry, a lack of motivation, maybe. Um, but yeah, we've seen this. We've seen Caleb Love, RJ Armando, Leaky to a certain extent, uh, Puff to a certain extent, be good at Carolina. Um, they've almost all regressed in some way. I think Armando's about the same. RJ maybe a little bit better. Caleb probably a little worse, but you know he's had some moments this year as well. I mean Puff. I mean everybody's calling for Puff, and he is he's cold from three as well. He's zero for four last night. Um, so. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's hard to explain why this team can't put it all together. It's it's too late now almost. You're gonna have to win out. And I guess we'll get to that later. But uh they got a tough road ahead of them to, to try to make the tournament here. I mean, one of the big things that stands out to me stands out to me is they were two for twenty three from three, but two of those were made by Caleb. So everyone else was O for twenty one. Puff <laughs> Puff O for four, DeMarco O for three, Pete Nance O for three, uh RJ O for four. And Leaky Black over three from three, just missing open threes um, throughout the game. I think their rebounding was great. They attacked the offensive glass. I mean, that was obvious. They um, there's some stats here. I'm looking at Steve Kirschner's notes. Um, 52 rebounds were the most in a 40 minute game this season. Uh, the 23 offensive rebounds was a season high, and they had three players uh, with double digit rebounds. So they were aggressive and they were very active in the offensive glass um, and dominated. Notre Dame on the, on the offensive glass. That's a big reason why they won. I mean, getting those second chance opportunities, miss, miss, miss offensive rebound 
and then they finally would make a basket. Yeah, and I think the, you know, we've discussed the set, not really a set for Leaky, but it ended up with Leaky going one on one, and then Leaky has a, I mean, a guy six nine, he has a dunk underneath um, and pins himself, but ultimately that helped Carolina because it allowed them to continue to run clock because it counted as offensive rebound, the shot clock reset or turned off. And so I, w- I want to bring up a comment right here. Uh, Michael Stroud in the chat. I'm going to throw it up here. It says, compare this team to the Doherty team that went 8-20. and 20. I don't think it compares to that team. 8-20 and 20 is brutal. Um, for reference, how quick you can turn it around in the portal, State lost 22 games last year. Mm-hmm. But to the point that I was making earlier is that that 8-20 and 20 team was not good. They didn't have anybody that was good. No disrespect to Jason Capel. I don't want any of that smoke. <laughs> but that team didn't have anybody. And they had some some guards that struggled getting the ball up the floor, period. This team doesn't have that. And that's what's so frustrating. This team has got high-level talent that is capable, and it's not. So sort of the 8-20 and 20 year was like you just knew what you were going to get. You knew they were going to play. You knew they were not as talented. They were going to get beat. Um, and you just sort of lived with it, especially after, you know, you realized it was going downhill. This team is just a different animal. That's why Dewey's so fired up about it. That's why the fan base is so fired up about it. And that is what's – it's the same thing. You mentioned Groundhog Day. Let's go back to that. Groundhog Day and insanity all go together. And the starting lineup, Ross, hadn't changed at all. Do you think there's any chance the starting lineup changes this season? No, I, I we had we had thought maybe it would start uh, it would change ahead of NC State, but now that it hasn't, and I don't I don't think Puff has has looked any better than Nance. Nance looked pretty good yesterday. I thought yeah. it wasn't he probably one of his better games. He scored with the UNC's first seven points and ended up with double digit rebounds and five assists, which is a career season high. Um, so yeah, I, I think they're sp- kind of splitting Puff and, and Pete, and I think that's the the right the right move because Puff can't hit him either. I mean, it's just sad out there. You see Puff, Pete, and Leakey, and none of them hit threes. And those are, at times, your three and your four out there on the perimeter. Um, and DeMarco hasn't really hit one recently either. So, um, it, when you just see those players on the perimeter, you're like, who's going to hit a three here? It's just it's and almost And almost becomes, you know, like I said on the post game, the worst miss of the night turned out to be – an offensive rebound that helped Carolina win the game. Puff banking it off the side of the backboard from the corner. Uh, I, I will. We've banged on Pete Nats a lot, and uh, he struggled. But I thought he was good last night, and he was the only person that could get the ball to Armando. Yeah, and, great passes. And, yeah, and, and so that was those were big time. They I, they should do that more often. I mean, the high post game is where they've had some success. And Baycott seemed to be having fun with that. So, shout out to Pete Nance for that. But the rest of the team, I mean, these guys got to figure it out. Virginia coming to town, I mean, legitimately, this game could be in the single digits in the first half with Virginia if they shoot like they did against Notre Dame. And and so, anyway, I I don't know what else to say about that, this team or whatever. I just know they got to win out and they got to make some noise in the ACC tournament. Tommy, I did go look at the 8-20 and 20 team because I was curious. So there's a huge difference here. That 8-20 and 20 team in, in 2002, their adjusted offensive efficiency was 119th in the country. Adjusted defensive efficiency was 168th in the country. That is not this UNC team. UNC is 54th on offense and 49th in defense. They're 
solid in some of the advanced metrics. I think what they're missing maybe is some of the stuff that isn't captured in some of these statistics. I think like intensity, focus, obviously shooting, all the things we've been talking about. But I don't think you can compare these two teams, the, the 8 and 20 team and this team. I think also the expectations they had coming into the season was completely different. Like this team should be compared to the 2017 team that was, you know, they had the heartbreak in the national championship game in 2016. They refocused in 2017, and obviously you know what happened then. That's the team that this team should be compared to, but it just hasn't worked out this year. Yeah, and you can't compare an 8-20 team to a team that's – I mean, they're 17-11. and 11. They've doubled doubled up on the amount of wins. I mean, this team is 17-11. It's been very disappointing. They still have a winning record both overall and in conference, so it's hard to compare it there. Um, yeah, the 2016-17 comparison, and that team lost um, Marcus Page and Bryce Johnson, and we're still able to, to put it together. Um, and win the title, and this team lost Brady Manick. So you would think this team kind of had more returning talent on paper than the 16 team. But the 16 team, you know, had the very strong leadership with the 17 team had very strong leadership with Theo Pinson and Joel Berry, and then the seniors were Kenny Meeks um, and and Isaiah Hicks and Justin Jackson. Obviously, was a good leader. So your starting lineup, you know, had three three juniors and two seniors. Yeah, yeah that's and, one and thing I've guys. wanted to ask Vip to talk with Justin Jackson about because I'm sure this that 2017 team faced some of the same sort of questions about you know kind of the disease of more that you've talked about like who's going to step into these big roles everyone had a big role in 2016 who's going to kind of take over that following year but it didn't seem to hurt that team's chemistry that team seemed to stay together obviously they had a great run that March but yet you, you kind of flip the calendar now to these past two seasons. It feels like maybe the, the chemistry of issues haven't quite been figured out there. Maybe, you know, who's taking the final shot um, or who's getting a majority of the shots on the team. Uh, those types of questions maybe haven't quite been ironed out. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those, again, that intangible thing that maybe isn't captured in the Ken Palm numbers. But maybe I feel like that's been a little bit of a, problem this season everyone trying to get their shot rather than focusing on setting up the the others on the team and, and finding great shots for their teammates yeah and that was a couple things one on that on that subject right there you know they always talk about the extra pass and somebody posted a video or a gif or gif or whatever you call it when Nichols just standing over there in the corner wide open, well, somebody else took a three that was an open three, but the extra pass gets you an even more open <coughs> Let me say something about the 16 team. Justin Jackson did talk about that on one of our post-game podcasts. I asked him, and everybody talked about that, and he sort of set the record straight a little bit on that, is that 16 team was top five in the country the entire year. They were good. This team last year was not good. They were just like they are this year except they got hot when it mattered. So there's a little bit of a difference there. Um, you know, they did lose Paige and Bryce Johnson, but they had guys and they were always – it wasn't a shock that they went to the national championship game against Villanova like it was for this Carolina team last year. And then, of course, like they've all talked about, is they came back with a purpose. And for whatever reason, these guys hadn't done it. And that's what Dewey has, has hammered on the entire time is – how do you have a taste of it and then not want to get back, not do everything you can? And I look, I get it when shots don't go in, but this is beyond that. 
you know, there, there's so much going on with this team and it's quite, quite frankly, a train wreck. And I don't know another, another way to put it. I see a question. Somebody start a question in the thing. Yeah. I was going to bring up this question. It's a good one from, from Tony. If we want to start to shift the conversation a little bit to Virginia and, and the final three games of the season, Tony asked, how does UNC win against Virginia if Armando gets double and triple teamed? That's a, a really good point, Tommy. You already said it. This could be a very low-scoring game. So how do you think UNC can handle those potential double teams offensively? they they got to hit shots, right, Ross? Yeah, got to hit shots, got to hit some threes, got to open it up. I mean, that's what Hubert says it too. You know, it takes the pressure off Armando when you can kind of loosen up the defense, I think is oftentimes his wording. Um, remember, Mondo was hurt in the last game um, at Virginia. So UNC played them pretty tough up there without Armando. I, I think this team has regressed a little bit since then, honestly. Um, but, uh, you know, you get them at home. UNC's played generally pretty well at home. You know, you think about that Clemson game, that seems almost like an outlier now, having lost um, to Miami and then State and then narrowly getting by Notre Dame. But, you know, they, they hit, what, 14 or 16 threes, I think, it's like against Miami, which was their season high at the point. And they, they turned it out the, the next game. They uh, had their season low percentage against Miami. So, who knows? Um, if you don't have threes against Virginia, you're not going to beat them. And if I'm Virginia on defense, I don't have one player take a step out of the three-point line. Not one. <laughs> and uh, the blueprint's out there what to do against Armando, right? I mean, there's enough tape now that – there's no secrets like they're seeing the success of, of what happens when you double team them, when you triple team them, when to bring the double team, what gives them the most difficulties. And they have, they have staff or assistant coaches looking at all the tape. And so they're going to you know, be very well prepared on how to handle that. But yeah, have to, I mean, have, it's a very simple game. I mean, you have to hit open shots. And I thought they pushed the ball a little bit better against Notre Dame at times. And I'm not sure where I saw this, but you, you never see Hubert pushing them off the court doing like this with my hands like Roy used to do. I read that somewhere or heard it somewhere. You don't see it anymore. So I would love to see this team play faster, especially when you have Caleb and RJ. But you saw some transition points against Notre Dame. I think Caleb had a uh, a couple, uh, which was good to see, but still not. I mean, Roy would lose his stuff when he when the team wouldn't push it. Like that was a huge part of, of how they operated. Yeah, well, listen, it's an On The Beat Live podcast. Ross Martin, John Bowman, and Tommy Ashley here. Adam Smith off tonight watching Carolina women on the game cast uh, mess around and give up an 8-0 run to Virginia Tech. Um, so that's not going well either. Uh, Carolina and Virginia, what is that game, 5 o'clock Saturday? 6. 6 o'clock in, in the Smith Center. Um, if they if they shoot two for twenty three, they're going to get blown out. If they shoot fifteen for thirty three, like they did against Clemson, I think they'll win comfortably. So somewhere in between there for North Carolina, but I think this is a game that um, Baycott. If Baycott has the double double in this game, and I know he went nuts last year against Virginia, but given how Carolina shot it poorly, if Baycott has a 20 and 15 game here. I think he gets back in the ACC player of the year race, even though I don't think he's going to win it. Um, but I don't know. I, I mean, it's time for Caleb and RJ to do something consistently. What do you think, John? Yeah, I wanted to hang on that point too about Armando Baycott. If you watch UNC, I feel like sometimes their offense almost suffers from trying to just exclusively 
feed Armando the ball in the post because defenses know that's UNC's main goal. So they're doing lots of different things to challenge that. And as soon as Armando touches the ball, you've got help coming from all different areas of the floor, confusing Baycott. He's never been super good at finding the right read and, and kicking it into the weak side corner. But at this point in the season, too, the help has gotten just absolutely egregious. I mean, you have someone guarding the player in the weak side corner. I believe last night it was Tyler Nickel. The help side defender, like, made an entire loop. He was closer to the other side of the court, to his team's bench, than he was to Tyler Nickel. So it's not just that they're helping off UNC's shooters or UNC's wing players, but they are abandoning that because teams know that UNC doesn't have the creativity or maybe even the will to kind of pass and, and kick. I mean, when's the last time you saw UNC really swing the ball around the perimeter and move it with a sense of urgency? I think that was a problem against NC State as well. Just sense of urgency getting into sets. This is basic stuff for a, uh, you know, a, a veteran basketball team. I think we all know the, the play, it was going around Twitter, this clip, where there was a, basically Armando, uh, RJ, and Caleb passing the ball in a triangle around the top of the key. Um, and uh, that's not a recipe for success when you're having that level of uh, urgency, uh, you know, kind of setting up your offense. You need to be able to get into those sets cleanly. Uh, as as we are moving the uh, the screens around a little I bit. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, think we're also I might have done that by mistake, John. Can you get us okay. out of that? <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> I don't know what I did. Yeah. <laughs> I was oh. I was getting nervous there as, as I was talking. You were <laughs> me around. I don't I don't need that close up yeah. here. Let's uh let's go ahead and do a Johnny T-shirt read. It's nine twenty two on the East Coast. Song to beat live. Hundred and seventy. Wow. Uh, shout out to the Inside Carolina folks that come in this chat every every week. 178 plus. It was close to 300, maybe more last night in the post game podcast at 11:30 at night after a Carolina game. Um, so shout out to you guys. Shout out to Johnny T-shirt uh, for all they do for Inside Carolina and InsideCarolina.com. The premium subscribers get 10 percent off. It's baseball season. Go see them. Those the, I will say this: the Navy baseball jerseys with the Carolina blue script, Tar Heels. Those are nice. Go pick one up at Johnny T-Shirt. You get 10% off if you're an Inside Carolina Premium subscriber and support them. If you don't want to buy anything sports-related, you can get all the School of Journalism, you know, pharmacy school, whatever kind of shirt you need there, uh, sweatshirts and all. 85 degrees in North Carolina. If you're in the chat, tell us where you're from and what the weather was where you were because it was 85 and I'm sunburnt. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's February 23rd. Let national guys pay the bills. We'll be right back with more on the Beat Live. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, y'all? 
This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do average 29 and 11. God, shit. what it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Four, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing. All right, guys, we're back. Uh, 9.23 on the Beat Live. Ross, um, let's kick it away from basketball uh, just for a second. I I thought Carolina lost a really good football coach today, but I cannot blame him one second for moving on to the Carolina Panthers. Yeah, uh, John Lilly, Titans coach for UNC, has left UNC for the Carolina Panthers. Takes the, the short drive down 85 from uh, Chapel Hill to Charlotte. Um, He spent three seasons at UNC. Um, The tight ends got progressively better underneath John Lilly. I thought last year they were one of the biggest parts of the offense. Um, You know, not very high-profile coach. You don't really see him much on Twitter. You didn't really hear much of him as a recruiter. He did recruit Bryson Nesbitt, who I think was a pretty big get. Um, I mean, this is the four people he recruited was uh, Bo Atkinson, who is a redshirt freshman next year. Diego Pounds, who I think is a redshirt sophomore. And then Julian Randolph, who is an incoming tight end. And then uh, Nesbitt. But last year, the tight ends were, were pretty special for UNC. Bryson Nesbitt, um, 35 passes, uh, catches for 507 yards and four touchdowns. Morales has been consistent his whole UNC career. 29 catches for 358 yards and four touchdowns. And Copenhaver, the third guy. It was pretty effective, uh, seemed to catch a, at least a ball a game, had 15 catches for 22, 222 yards. So um, John Lilly, you know, three years is kind of like the, the norm almost mm-hmm. for assistant coaches these days. Um, but now you have UNC's offensive staff. They lost uh, Phil Longo and they lost Jack McNell to Wisconsin. And now John Lilly heads back to the NFL. He had previously coached the Rams and the um, Browns. And he spent eight years at Georgia, too. So he's coached at Georgia, Florida State, UNC, and now he's head to the Panthers. Yeah, um, I mean, you could argue that the tight ends um, were the best position group that Carolina had other than the quarterbacks. Other yeah, than- and often – Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Yeah, and oftentimes, you know, your tight end coach, you, you know, he's involved in the offensive play calling and game playing, but also traditionally in the past has been also one of your better recruiters – just given the fact that, I don't know, this is going to be a slight tight ends can kind of work with wide receivers or work with the offensive line. And I don't know. It seems like a spot where you get a good recruiter. So it'll be interesting to see what Mac Brown does, whether he goes um, and finds someone who has experience working with Chip Lindsey, uh, who has experience working with Mac Brown, or, or someone from the Carolina family. Uh, I know there's a lot of names circling around the boards, but we don't really know where the search is going to go. But we do talk to Mac on March 1st. So that's what a little over a what two next weeks from Wednesday, now. right? No, it's it's next, next Wednesday. week. Next week. Next week. Yeah, twenty-eight days in February. Is that first yeah. pre-spring football press conference or something? Yep. yep. So I don't, you know, Mac likes to move fast, so we'll see if uh, there's a hire by then that'd be timely, so you wouldn't have to do another press conference, another introduction thing. But I think um, he likes to have someone in place to for spring practice to get full advantage. I know that was a big part last year with the offensive line 
higher. He wanted to have someone in place to get full advantage of those practices, right? I think spring starts March 5th would be the next, I think the next Sunday or Monday it starts. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, this guy's from Cleveland, Tennessee. My dad's from there. My dad grew up there. Oh, yeah, I saw somebody said they were from Clayton. Uh, Lewis Moore said he's from Clayton, yeah. Love I mean, the idea there, temperature and location. Yeah, nice. Look, Steve Williams, how close are you to past Christian? I got a gift certificate to a restaurant down there that I, I'm not getting back there. I'd be glad to send it to you. How about this? Wow. Sorry, I didn't mean to cancel, cancel you out there. Who'd you have up there? No, it don't matter. Cool. It, that's, that's Alaska. That's Alaska, yeah. We got Alaska here, 20 degrees. And somebody's in Phoenix. This is what trips me out. Everybody thinks Phoenix is hot all the time. 41 in wind day. Not this is good. A, this is Adam's hometown. Hometown. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It was 80. I'm not even going there. One point on, on the tight ends coach, Lily, as well. I think he did a great job developing UNC's talent. Someone like John Copenhaver, right? He was not a super highly touted recruit. Uh, I think he was from uh, Roswell, Georgia. It was Copenhaver. But he's turned into a really, really productive player for UNC. Um, and I think that's been a theme that we have harped on pretty consistently for uh, UNC football, developing uh, the talent you have, not just relying on, you know, you know, elite prospects to come in. Uh, so, you know, you're going to miss Copenhagen. Uh, you're going to miss Lily from that perspective as well. He did a really great job with his position group. Yeah, and all those guys return. Um, so you have all those guys return. They did lose Kendall Carr, who didn't really play much. I think he is at Coastal Carolina now. And you add in a freshman, Julian Randolph, who I think is kind of in the mold of Nesbitt, you know, 6'5", 6'6", you know, 220, 230, needs to put on some weight. Will probably be a project, um, but definitely has a talent there. So uh, we should see, you know, where they go young, you know, hire some some young guy. Or, or you know, John Lilly was kind of a more experienced guy, been around the block. Um be interesting. The chat. This is, is probably a, this is probably a question for for Greg, but do you have? Because I know there's a limit. You can have ten paid assistants, right? Do they have to be five and five on offense and defense? You could potentially hire a defensive coach. You uh, can hire. You can do it however you want. Um, you just can only have ten. But now GAs and uh, you know an analyst can coach on the field now, so you can have three hundred coaches if you want. And if you had that kind of money, I mean. Look at Alabama. They've got all these all these analysts and stuff that can coach. They that can officially coach, legally coach now. But yeah, you don't have to. I don't think there's any set way you have to organize your coaching staff. It's just you don't want to shortchange a, a, a group. You know, there's some. This is another reason for folks to be on the Inside Carolina Premium boards is there's plenty of threads already on the tar pit talking about this tight end hire and who's uh, possible there well let me just throw this out there then lonnie galloway returns you know the tight end room mostly all returns why not throw the tight ends tight ends in with with lonnie galloway and then go hire another defensive coach <laughs> why not who 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 thinks that's a bad idea uh, hey, we, know, think, we know where the problems are on this team i think you need to come with us on monday or on march 1st and, and sit in front row and ask matt that very question i i would say that i mean i think the tight ends do a little bit differently. You can't just – they do different things than the wide receivers. I mean, they're blocking. They're part of the run game, you know. Um, they 
you know, they attach to the offensive line and their pass protection as well. So the, there is some stuff they have to be taught separately, I, I think. But I mean, it's a fun I, idea, John. I mean, yeah, really. Let's have, ten, let's have 10 offensive coaches score 250 points. It doesn't matter what defense does. This is a comment from Garrett <laughs> Chapman. He says, hire a defensive line coach. So that's an interesting comment there from Garrett. That's another the, that That discussion is pretty similar to Dontrez Styles' uh, discussion. I mean, it is what it is. It is not going to change. Uh, Tommy, let's talk a little bit about baseball. Maybe we can swing to basketball at the end. But I know you've been doing your Monday shows with Scott Forbes. What's what's been the storylines of the baseball season so far? You know they lost the home opener to Seton Hall, ugly ball game, um, but they've won four straight since then. They go to East Carolina starting tomorrow at five o'clock. That place will be a hornet's nest. I think this team can be pretty good. Uh, I mean they've got a ton of talent. The pitching's going to be the deal, and they had a couple good midweek starts um, with. Um, Percival, who's a freshman, who was a stud, and Jake Knapp, who's a transfer, who's a stud. You know, they got to figure out the weekend rotation, but you know, Scott Forbes is a great dude, um, fun to talk to, gives you everything. It is so it is so pleasant to talk to a coach. I mean, Greg and I talked to him pregame or preseason and ask about the pitching rotation. He turns around, he grabs all his notes, and he goes on for six minutes about the pitchers telling everything, each and everything you can get talking about it. So it's just a different animal with baseball. Um, Carolina baseball is fun. Ross, I heard you say on the scoop that you went to a couple games. It's awesome to go over there. Um, I'm going to go to the Bosch on Wednesday after Mac. Um, I'm going to try to get there every Wednesday when they play. So it's a fun time. Um, you can get in the game for less than you can buy a beer at the game. Mm. Um, so there's really no excuse to not get to the Bosch, and this team could be pretty good. You got a press pass, right, Tommy? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I went uh, I went Friday, actually, and Tuesday. I mean, it's just like I had nothing to do, so I just went over, just I went mean, over there on Tuesday. So it's, it was nice weather. Um, I can't talk to you about much about the team. They, it looks like they got the, the, the bats pretty hot Tuesday and Wednesday, which, I mean, that's good, right? It's got to be good to see um, just getting some hits, right? It is uh they hit some home runs, they scored some runs. I mean Longwood was terrible. And Adam live. Smith live for, is that from Raleigh Durham? Well, well, well. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Great quality. Great quality. Where are you, Adam? I'm at gate C eleven. And <laughs> uh at, at RDU. Um can you give us a traffic um uh, update? Well, I can tell you that it was 36 degrees when we left South Bend today. I mean, what's I mean, I, I know Ross, I noticed, I know I've been messing with you. You announced that spring is here in Chapel Hill, right? I mean, yeah, Tommy <laughs> chimed in, said it wasn't here. It's supposed to be 53 degrees and cold tomorrow and raining. Yeah, 80, 85 today. I don't know. Uh, it was 85 today. Yeah, it was close. Yeah. Oh can my! You see this? Can't you see this sunburn? Oh, you look uh, great, Tommy. You always do. Yeah, but if you take that head out down here, you're going to get roasted early. It look like your shirt. Look, Adam, what you what you see that we did not see in South Bend on uh, Tuesday night or Wednesday, whenever it was, Wednesday night? What all have y'all talked about? I'm assuming shooting woes and offensive ineptitude and all that. Is that what oh. we've discussed? How about you tell us about the post scene? Like, what did the players talk about after? Like, what was kind of the scene after? Um what happened at halftime, too? That was my biggest takeaway, and I 
kicking myself that I haven't done more on it. I'm going to try to get it in the preview stuff for UVA. I'm mad at myself. I ran out of gas the other night. I don't know if y'all can hear these announcements pretty damn loud. <laughs> what do I need to do this? Stop that. I guess, well, I've got a microphone here. Tell them you're busy. Uh, right. <laughs> um, well, I, I, my, you know, I, the thing I was mainly, I was mainly asking was what, what was the scene at halftime? And, you know, cause the response in the second half was enough. I think they scored what 44 points in the second half and still didn't shoot it great. I think it shot 42% in the second half. Kind of crazy to think they scored 19 points in the first half and then 44 in the second half. Um, but anyway, uh, it, well, you know, I asked RJ Davis, I mean, I, if you ask R.J. Davis a question, if you ask Armando a question, they'll answer it. And I said, you know, what was the vibe like at halftime? Did people get loud? Did someone step up? I, I was wondering if there, what the leadership and accountability looked like uh, in that moment where, God, imagine how you're feeling last night at halftime. I can only imagine. I saw some tweets from you, Tommy. Um, but zero assists, right? They had zero assists. Uh, but, you know, R.J. said, uh, well, a couple people came in hot. And so it sounded like that – now, according to Caleb Love, it sounded like uh, assistant coach Brad Frederick kind of went off on them. Then he said Jeff Lebo took a turn. I'm paraphrasing him. And uh, I'm assuming Hoots uh, – Eric Hoots um, was the last one in because – I don't know if you all saw this on TV. He stayed out uh, as halftime started while the officials were reviewing that DeMarco Dunn shot trying to figure out if DeMarco got it off on time. So Hoots was out there for three, four, five minutes by the scores table while Carolina, the rest of the Carolina team was just in there. So when (laughs) – I think it was RJ that said Hoots came in hot. I was thinking, well, he had plenty of time to get worked up because he was just out there while they were reviewing it. Um, So we heard that Hubert Davis was furious but did not say a cuss word, which I guess he does not curse still. Um, So it it sounded like – um, you know, there were some challenges being made. Uh, I, I guess it's okay to say here at 9.37 p.m. Armando, I asked Armando what his main takeaway from the halftime message was, and he said that, you know, we need to show we had some more balls, <laughs> which is available. I see YouTube uh, video if you want to see him say you need more balls. But, um, <laughs> you know, Caleb said, Caleb said it honestly was, it basically was uh, how much do you care about this season? Um so, yeah, I mean, I know. I, I guess I said – I guess what I wrote was it wasn't a work of art. I mean, that was an absolute struggle. But, um, you know, another interesting comment you might want to check out from R.J. Davis was the very last thing he said when we were reporting um, was he sort of pointed out to us. He goes, you know, I mean, a win's a win, and we needed a win. And it's hard to win on the road no matter who you play, which is true. And then he said, he said, you know, you can't be sad all the time. Uh, sometimes you need the rainy days to stop. And I thought that was kind of interesting because, you know, he sort of just offered that up. It wasn't like we're grilling him with questions. Um, so I don't know. It took me back to uh, what's the new edition song. Uh, Can you stand the rain? Tommy, probably the only one that knows that, (laughs) but, uh, you know, I mean, RJ, RJ saying you can't be sad all the time, you know? Um, but what we're on to Virginia now, I guess. I mean, that was a, that was a debacle last night. So let me ask you this, Adam. When you're up there in South Bend and it's 36 degrees or whatever and you're sitting there watching this team play, do you ever sit there, especially at halftime, going, 
I can't believe I'm up here <laughs> in South Bend, Indiana, watching this. This. Do you ever find yourself doing that? Because I tell you, the moment I had it is when yep. Carolina was playing LSU in 2010 down in Atlanta, and it was like 30 to three at half or whatever the score oh, was. Talking, yeah, right? okay, and I'm thinking, like... I'm thinking, what in the am I doing? I drove all the way down here for this. Do do you ever get that sense, Adam, when you're sitting there? I mean, this is the job. I mean, it's not about me. It's about. <laughs> I'm not saying the job. It's a job. I understand, but really, yeah, I mean, think about this: the last <laughs> two road games Carolina has won uh, at Syracuse. We were up there. It snowed the entire time we were up there, and now at Notre Dame, and it was. I mean, it was raining sideways. I mean, it it didn't stop raining. It was just, it was so disgusting the weather. Um, but you know, Notre Dame, I mean, Ross knows we walked into Ross and I walked all around Notre Dame a couple of years ago when Carolina was up there in football. I'm sure you were up there too, Tommy. I think we saw you. Yeah. I mean, Notre Dame is an awesome place. I think uh, now the surrounding Ross, you remember the surrounding Indiana area. It's, I don't it's, know. It's, it's, it's kind of in the middle of nowhere and it's kind of rough coming into there. You I don't do know not how cross the line. Notre Dame in the middle of that, like just. Um, but the campus is beautiful. That, that, the, yeah, the, awesome. that basketball arena, the, uh, Purcell Pavilion, it's, it's gorgeous. I mean, it's spotless. How um, was the crowd? What was the crowd like? Like how built, how know, big is it was place? not full. It was not full. I mean, it's Notre Dame's what? Two and 15 in the ACC. Now that was Mike Bray's second to last home game. He's got one more home game left. Um, crowd wasn't great. The place holds, I think 9,000. It's, it's, I mean, it's a small, you know, it's like the size of Cameron, um, also it, think, it's a nice facility. Also think schools like that, like there's not a lot of Notre Dame alums living in South Bend. Like it's a national fan base. The fact that it's kind of like Duke, like there's not a lot living in the area. So you don't get like a Carolina. You have you probably have, you know, a hundred thousand alums within a freaking 30 mile radius. So it's just hard to get them there. Yeah. And I've heard that this is not Mike Brady's still going to be coaching somewhere. He's something up with that. Like he's getting kind of forced out or something. I know mm-hmm. Jeff Goodman reported on that. This is his last game in Notre Dame, but he's not done coaching. So yeah, he says he wants to keep coaching. He uh, got run out of Notre Dame. I, li- I like what he said in a press conference. He didn't say it last night. Um, I think he said it over the weekend. He was like, I say I'm leaving. And they finally allowed me to do a press conference in the football press room. <laughs> that's right that was when he the announcement that he was going to step down yeah he kind of <laughs> you can only imagine what it must be like at a place like that uh, and he's kept them relevant um you know we randomly saw you know what a nerd i am we randomly saw at our hotel before we went over there matt farrell you remember that guy uh he kind of has sam howell look to him the, <laughs> you know, the white guy with the beard and the brown hair um we saw him at our hotel and then they ended up honoring him at the game former notre dame guard i think he was on <laughs> Might have been on that team Carolina beat in the Elite Eight. Um, so there were some people coming back. LaFonso Ellis was back. He was on our flights up and back there. He went back, I guess. He didn't play for Bray, but he went back, I guess, to, you know, to see a game. He was there last night. So anyway. it is a, I think it's a cool place. I mean, Notre Dame, the campus is ridiculous um, and all. But, yeah, I'm not interested in being up there when it's raining, cold rain sideways for a 9 o'clock basketball game. So, Appreciate you know, the young did start to the second half, too. Uh, you know, when RJ what, he had steal and he scored, then he had another steal. Caleb hits a three finally. There's a three-pointer goes in. You know, there were Carolina people in there. Carolina had a nice showing. 
Carolina had a good showing at, at, at Louisville and at Pitt, too. Like, you forget when they're playing bad, you know, they don't have anything to cheer about. You know, they had that nice little burst to start the second half. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. Carolina has a pretty good crowd here. There's plenty of Carolina blue, you know, in the building. So, they woke up a little bit when the team woke up. So, Adam, what do you think now? Heading into heading Virginia at home, three games left. Anything to take away from this game that you think changes your opinion on this team and what they can do moving forward? Well, I think that – I'm such a prisoner in the moment, Ross. I mean, you saw what BC did to UVA last night. And, uh, I mean, heck, if Carolina's not careful, BC's going to jump them in the standings. But, um, you know, I think Virginia has not been playing great, and they've been winning. I think they had won 11 of their previous 12 before the other night, last night. And they have been able to be to win. And, you know, I don't know. I, I feel like Carolina – I, I think Carolina wins the game Saturday. I don't know why. Maybe I'm crazy. Um, I would have been very interested to see what Carolina would have done in Charlottesville last month if Armando had not gotten hurt. Because at that point, Carolina was playing well. And their confidence was not shot like it is now. Um, the confidence of this team is just – they are, in my opinion, so intrinsically aware of the stakes – and everything, and they're oh, so aware that they haven't made shots. You, I mean, you just—they just know it when they line these things up. I mean, Hubert, Hubert, and Armando have basically said when you listen to them, when you really listen to them, they have basically said it is going to come down to us just making these open shots because they are so there. I'm sure you guys saw them on TV, um, but but Ross, I mean, I feel like Carolina, you know, if they can get it together, if they can play like they're capable of at, at home, I think they beat Virginia. I mean, it's going to be a lot. I was just talking to our photographer, Jim Hawkins. I mean, you know, but they play Notre Dame Wednesday night. Now they play uh, UVA Saturday. Then they go to FSU on Monday. You know, this season's going to – we're going to hit the end of the season pretty quickly here. Um, Look, if they beat Virginia, if it's a two-game win streak, you would think they can beat handle Florida State. And then look, it's the it's Duke at home right. on a three game win streak. Your confidence probably up a little bit. You probably play a little better senior day. I don't know what, what that means anymore with all the COVID years. And you know, Leaky's had what three senior days already. <laughs> but um, you know, that kind of you know, if they beat Virginia, it kind of gives you some ideas that they, maybe they could win out. Uh, Duke's playing well right now, I think. But Duke, you know, playing at home, crowd be rocking knowing what's at stake, it kind of makes you think a little bit differently now if they can beat Virginia. I think if they beat Virginia, just let's say they beat Virginia Saturday night. I think on Sunday or whenever everybody updates their stuff, I think they're off the bubble for that in that particular moment if they beat Virginia. Virginia will be a, a quad one game. Virginia is still the highest ranked ACC team in the net. They took a huge drop in Ken Palm. Um, but, you know, I think – you know, if you if, if UNC wins the game Saturday night, they wake up Sunday momentarily in the field. Uh, then you got to not lose the FSU, and then you got to try to beat Duke and do the work in the ACC tournament. But you know, as ugly as Notre Dame was, I think it's huge to win the game and to feel good about yourselves and to prepare for what they know is a huge, huge opportunity uh, on Saturday at the Dean Dome. What a sad state of affairs where we're just hoping and praying <laughs> they're off the bubble. You're right. I mean, having having grown up in kind of the Hansborough years where they were killing ACC teams by 20 and, you know, losing only four or five you know games a year. It's just kind of like it's a, it's a low standard. If you step out of the step out of the moment for a second, I mean, we all thought March is almost here. 
right? What March is next week, I guess. We all thought this team would be like a number one, number two seed. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you just didn't. You never pictured this amount of drama, uh, you know, needing to to take place or taking place. They got on the boards last night too. I mean, I don't know if y'all talked about that. They really. Uh, someone, one of the players said that they had talked about sending three, four, five, whoever is playing the three, the four, and the five. So, Leaky Pete Armando, just sending them to the boards. And Notre Dame obviously does not have like a true traditional big, and they manhandled them on the boards. I, I might have won them the game the way they rebounded. Anything left, did. boys? John, I did want to pull up this question. This is a good one here from, from Garrett. It's a good one, especially for Adam. We already talked a little bit about the Notre Dame opening. Ooh. What ACC basketball coaching jobs will be open at the end of the year? This question is from Garrett. Notre Dame's one. Will there be any others? Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech might. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, well, NC State was going to be open uh, until Kevin Keats had – Kevin Ke- Kelvin Keats? What am I talking about? Kevin Keats had uh, this great season. I mean, he thought Kevin Keats was on the hot seat. I don't think Duke will be open. <laughs> I think they're set there for a while. Yeah, I would, th- I would say only Notre Dame and Georgia Tech. I mean, they're not gonna, it's not Florida State. It's not Miami. Let's go. Before this season happened, you thought Keats and Jeff Capel probably would get fired. Mm-hmm. And Capel has had – they've had a great year pit. Uh-huh. And it seems like the Boston College coach is winning some games. You yeah. Know, at, least showing, at least showing a little promise. I think he's in year three. Second year. Should be second, second year. year. Second yeah. year. Yeah. Let's and see. Louisville coach is not going anywhere. I mean, right. even First though they're terrible, he's not going anywhere. I mean, is Leonard – Leonard's fine at Florida State, right? I'm looking at the standings here. I mean, he's old, so he could – He's very know, old. At some point, he's got to retire, but – You Bay- know what? Bayheim, he may retire. You I never mean, know. Are they going to have to – they're going to have to pry him out of that job, aren't they? I was I mean, going to say, they're going to have to roll him or cart him off. He's not he's going to leave. He's pushing 80. Isn't he 78? Yeah. He's so ridiculous. I mean, he's so would, crusty on those Zoom press conferences <laughs> on Monday mornings. It's ridiculous. You would think, just like, retire and go live in Florida. Like, why are you putting yourself through it in Syracuse, berating student reporters? Like, go live where it's warm for a couple years before you pass. Right. I mean, We've only got so many years left, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Right. Don't you think you've squeezed everything you can? Yeah. I think he's coached Syracuse for 47 years. These coaches are different, man. It's like their whole life. You know, it's like. Well, it's kind of like, you know, Bear Bryant at Alabama back in the day. He said, you know, what else am I going to do? And he like dead three months later after yeah, he retired. Right? So. Joe Pa too, right? Yeah. Joe Pa died shortly after he got kicked out. But they, uh, you know, so it's a, it's a thing. But, yeah, I, I'm not. I figured Bayheim would be gone when when his eight sons were finally used all their eligibility. Right, and they're done. Yeah, I they're mean, gone. I don't think there's there, going to be a grandchild coming up soon enough. I'm sure. <laughs> that Larinaga, Larinaga down in Miami. He's oh, he's older. Wait, well, he's. I mean, he can. Ret- I don't think they'll. They want him gone at all. I mean, yeah, he's living the life. He's already down at the beach. But he's an old Miami. dude. I remember when COVID hit, and I was like, "Good lord!" You know. Half the coaches in the ACC are seventy plus. Coach K, Roy, Leonard, Bayheim, Larinaga. Uh, I mean, I was like, you know, before you knew what was going to happen, I was like, "Good Lord, protect the coaches!" <laughs> like, you know, Jesus. I mean, you know, we thought the elder was elderly was so susceptible. Anyway, sorry, <laughs> Adam. You got any takes on uh, how will you remember the John Lilly era at UNC? You know, do you, I kind of feel like it's a big loss. What do you think, Ross? Have you you guys have talked we about talk it? Yet. Already, Your mustache yeah. looks great, by the way. Yeah, it's coming in. It's doing. You're doing a good job. Look at that. 
that's what everybody wants right in the living room. Um, you know, I felt like John Lilly has been instrumental in helping Bryson Nesbitt develop. Um, you know, you think about Nesbitt being such a great athlete at that position, but maybe raw and maybe, you know, not you know, experienced in being a tight end. Seemed like Mac, you know, Mac says a lot of stuff, but seemed like Mac gave a lot of compliments to Lilly this year in terms of helping grow the offense. You know, they incorporated the tight ends obviously a lot more. And uh, he always talked about what a good re- working relationship he had with Phil Longo. I know that doesn't matter anymore, but it seems like everybody thought really highly of John Lilly. I don't know if what you guys have said. Yeah, I mean, developed the tight ends, so they're very productive last year. So right. He's with the Panthers, right? I mean, this was all happening while we were traveling. He left yeah. for the Panthers job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was broke well, he's an NFL guy, wasn't it? Didn't he have several stops in the NFL before? Just, he- just two years, two or three years, yeah. Was it? Hey, all the players are trying to make it to the NFL. Can't can't fault a coach from going. Um, maybe he'll do something with the Panthers because God, they stink. Tommy, um, we need you to get on a who will Carolina hire as a tight ends coach. Uh, I'm gonna go straight to the premium message board and look at Mac TTP's thread because I have no idea. Mogridge, Alan Mogridge. That's oh yeah, yeah. That'd be a good name. Gunner Brewer. I mean those type guys. But uh, who knows, man? I, I you know. We'll see what happens. We'll talk to Mac on March 1st. Ross and Adam will be front and center on that. I sit in the back with the old people and uh, just observe from afar. Anything left, boys? Adam, you need to get to the house. You've been away for a while. John B., you got a famous stat of the day before we get out of here? It's time for the most famous John B., this portion of the show. Oh. Armando Baycott has showed up in – Season three of Outer Banks. Don't spoil it. I've only, watched, I've only watched three episodes. When's he show up? I, I won't spoil it, but check out the Inside Carolina Shorts YouTube channel to get a little sneak peek, Tommy. <laughs> you can, there's your tease for all the people listening and watching. I watched the episode before we got on the, on the Beat Live podcast. Y'all Do we want to get predictions for the UVA basketball game? Should we go around? Yeah, let's pull us up here. Garrett Chapman. Oh, there I'll, we go, Garrett. Go I'll start. Wherever. I'll start. I'll go uh, 62-58, Virginia. The SAT scores, um, 420. Oh, no, that's wrong. That's Saturday. Uh, it's a good Carolina guess. doesn't break 50. Bam. I don't know what Virginia does. Carolina doesn't break 50. I think Carolina could win, but, God, I can't, I can't predict them to win. I got I got fifty nine fifty one Virginia. Well, you got Adam. Can you if you're covering the game? Can you make a prediction? AKA Herb Street. Also covering did. the game, he can make a prediction. Yeah, I mean, right. That's a good one. I don't know. Well, wonder what the line would be. I guess UVA would be favored, obviously. Um, yeah, maybe by a couple points. I'm gonna say uh, I'm gonna say UNC sixty six, UVA sixty one. I think the first game, Virginia won 65-58. You know, Carolina had a – obviously, that was one of the games. That was one of the games we talked about with – Carolina was up seven in the second half, I think. They were up at least six. And, you know. Over under Carolina threes in that game. Man. What's the number? Are the floodgates ever going to open or are they just not going to open? We'll set it at seven. Over under seven. Under. Way under. If it's way under, Carolina's not winning. What do you think, Adam? Over under seven. How amazing is that? They shot 8% from three-point range last night. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 
what what over under what's the number? I'm gonna give eight over under eight threes. Under I'd have I gotta say under. I mean, I have no idea. I quit trying to to figure out this team. I just watch and observe and then talk about it later. Uh, Steve Williams says made or taken. I would I would wager over under twenty taken. We're going over. Yeah. Let's not forget the last time UVA was in the Dean Dome. I think we could say truthfully Armando had the best game he's ever played. Twenty nine points, twenty two rebounds. I think it was the day Carolina hired Gene Chiswick too. I think we were pretty busy that day, Ross. I remember we were sitting right side by side, and it was like, you've got to be kidding me. Um, but Armando manhandled them last year. Now, he ain't going to face single coverage against Jalen Gardner or Shedrick or whoever. But yeah, He also broke Shedrick's nose in that game early. He did. Shedrick he did. of Holly Springs fame. But those games mean a little something more to Armando. He was really upset the, the night that he got hurt at Charlottesville and he couldn't keep playing, you know, being a Virginia native. Those things, they're important to him. Um, so we'll see how he comes out. Yep, let's get out of here. Like Sean Crowley says, survive in advance. Carolina is in the in the second round of the NCAA tournament on Saturday night, quite frankly, against Virginia. Uh, I'll, I'll say 53, uh, 54 to 52. Man. Um, Houston, NC State, 1983 score. Um, somebody wins it. It's going to be ugly. It, it's going to be really ugly. Guys, it's been fun. Uh, it's been on the beat live, sponsored by Johnny T-shirt, JohnnyT-shirt.com. Shout out to Adam Smith for joining us from RDU, and shout out to the RDU Wi-Fi. I'm impressed. Um, Got right on it with my MacBook Pro. It sounded great. John Bowman for producing this stuff, and Ross Martin for being here. I'm Tommy Ashley. We'll see you again next week, same time. Post game after Virginia, Inside Carolina Live Saturday morning. Adam, you're on it. I don't know if you know it yet, but you're talking to Joey and I on Saturday morning. I have we'll been talk in to communication you with Joey Powell. He's got jokes. Guys, take care of everybody. <laughs>